Good morning, everyone. Being married to an American, I spent a fair amount of time in the USA. But one of my favourite sounds every time I got home, particularly in country Victoria, was that of the kookaburra. Hearing the kookaburra first thing in the morning with its uh, ominous laugh, just such a wonderful sound. A reminder to me to not take life too seriously. Today is going to be a good day. Don't let fear and anxiety and worry and burdens rob you of joy and trust and faith in God. Fear is always snapping at our heels though. It's not as though we deal with it once and then it's done with. No, it's just a constant threat to our faith. And we've been exploring that over the last number of weeks. The Bible anticipates this struggle and I think that's why fear is the most repeated command in the Bible more so than love your neighbour or read your Bible more or give more money away or any of those things, which are all cool, they're all good. The most repeated command in all of scripture is this, do not fear, do not fear. It's mentioned some 365 times, which someone has rightly said, one for each day of the year. We kind of need that reminder and many of you need that reminder today. Don't let fear control you. It shouldn't come as a shocking revelation. It makes pretty good sense, particularly in a 2020 COVID lockdown scenario where we do have fear in our culture. It's there as a kind of constant reminder to us that there's a threat all around us right now. And what we do with that, how we manage that is really, really challenging. Some of us are fearing this second wave that is threatening our entire nation right now, particularly down in Victoria, but even we're seeing little pockets elsewhere of the virus breaking out again. Some of us are worried about the economic repercussions that already exist, whether a second wave sweeps our nation or not. Fear is a reality that we have to deal with on a daily basis. The Bible contains great hope for us then, for those of us who are trying to beat this thing called fear. It's possible. But it's almost as simple as profound as this. The battle is won or lost right here in the mind, in the mind. As I choose things that help my faith grow, fear has no, no option but to take a back seat. It must shrink under the power of faith. But if I allow my mind to wander in an undisciplined way, fear most certainly will take control of me. So the big idea we keep returning through this series is this. It's a thought from Craig Rochelle. My life is always moving in the direction of my strongest thoughts. My life is always, forever, moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And we want it to move in the right direction. We want it to keep moving forward. And so it's absolutely vital that we operate with this thing the Bible calls renewing our minds. Disciplined thinking for our lives will never exceed the quality of our thoughts. Craig is right in suggesting that if we're missing God's peace today, then it's a signal that it's time to pray. If you're feeling strangled by the worries of life, that's simply a signal today for you and me. It's time to pray. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. So anxiety, apart from anything else, is simply this, a signal it's time to pray. It's a signal that I'm trying to take up a role that I'm not designed for, and that is play God. I'm underqualified to sit on the throne and rule the universe. And when I try and do that, I find myself in this anxious place. 
So where did we discover the means to operate with that level of trust, though, where we can kind of give things over to God? I'm glad you asked. Today we're going to look at what I'm calling Paul's mental health plan. And I invite you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Paul's mental health plan is our theme for the day. Paul pens this letter to the Philippian church uh, some 2,000 years ago, but it's never been more appropriate than now. And it's a striking word. Paul says to the church, listen up, hear this. He says, be anxious for nothing, for nothing. Don't give anxiety anything. Have none of it in your life and existence. It sounds like a wild thought. He didn't say worry less. You know, currently you're at two hours a day. Uh, by, by next month, work on making that kind of an hour and a half. And then by the following month, see if you can work it down to an hour. And imagine, imagine, Paul says, the, the possibility of you working that all the way down to, you know, just half an hour of worry a day. Uh, so you've got almost out of the 24 hours, you've got 23 worry-free. I mean, that would be a pretty good result, yeah? Paul doesn't offer us that. He says, give worry nothing. He plainly says, stop. Let's explore how that's possible. Philippians 4 this morning, and I'm reading to you from verse 6 to begin with. Philippians chapter 4, a rather short reading this morning, just um, from verses 6 to 9. It says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers, one final thing. And like every preacher you've ever heard of, Paul says one final thing and then proceeds to say a number of final things. Fix your thoughts on what is true, verse 8. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Notice this word, then, then, that is, as a consequence of doing all the things previously mentioned, then the God of peace will be with you. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word today. What an amazing opportunity is extended to us here in Philippians 4, 7 and 8. It's incredible to stop and engage with. We don't have to worry about anything. We can breathe deep knowing that God is in control. This week I was reading Peterson's commentary of Psalm 23 where David famously said these words, perhaps my favourite scripture in all of the Bible if we're allowed to have favourites. He says to God, you restore my soul. I'm reading this commentary about that passage and it, and it said it like this. God, you allow me to catch my breath. You allow me to catch my breath. I love that concept. I can breathe deep knowing that God is in control. Philippians 4, 6a, the first part of the verse, makes no sense at all where it says we shouldn't worry about anything if it's a standalone comment. It's a ridiculous comment. 
if we just hang it out there on its own. Try and pretend your worry isn't there. Try and pretend you have no anxiety. No, no, no. That's not what it says. We use our anxiety as a signal. It's time to pray. We take our burdens to the Lord. And as that old song I listened to when I was growing up, we somehow learn to leave them there. Leave our burdens there. Don't pick them up again on the way home. We take our burdens to the Lord and we leave them there. So, Jonah, what you're saying is I just dump all of my problems onto God and that's it. Done deal. Well, sort of. The way we approach prayer matters too. Notice this in the scripture. We don't just spend our entire time presenting a shopping list to God. Rather, here's what it says to do. We recall God's faithfulness to us in the past. And somehow that triggers a new gratitude in our experience today. Something happens in me. Something goes deep in my spirit when I recall all of God's faithfulness in the past. All of that faithfulness yesterday that I bring to mind somehow empowers me to live out the challenges of today. For some reason, for those of you feeling enormously challenged in this current season, these verses here, Philippians 4, 6 and 7, there's enough material here for you to swim around the rest of the week and do really, really well. They all by themselves are so helpful. However, today... I have a different quest. I'm going to move past these verses quickly. We're just skimming six and seven. We couldn't spend, spend our entire time parked on these two verses, which would be time well spent, by the way. And we're not skimming because they're low on value. I have an, uh, another motivation here today. There's plenty of uh, material you could find elsewhere that's been covered on these couple of verses. But I have a different exploration today, and it's this. How come? How come? The how come question. If peace is so readily available, and according to Philippians 4, 6, it is. It's right here in black and white. If it's so readily available, why are you, why am I so often missing it? Why are we living in such a troubled existence? Why aren't we finding the freedom from fear that's indicated here in Philippians 4? Why the ongoing battle? Why isn't fear being altogether terminated the moment I put my trust in Christ, like yesterday? Why haven't I been magically zapped yet? Why haven't I been able to sort this? Well, I think that magic zapping is a clue to our exact problem. I'm going to make a big, a big call right now that's going to sound potentially harsh. My intention isn't to be harsh, but rather provide us with an insight. An insight to anyone who, like me, feels at times they continue to be caught up in this nasty spiral of anxiety that they can't shake free of. Where more often than not, your experience is fear instead of the faith that we've been talking about these last number of weeks. So why is it that peace isn't ruling anxiety? Why is it sometimes that you and I are still finding life to be back the front to how it should be? So here's the big statement. The Sunday altar becomes meaningless without Monday alterations. Let me say it again. The Sunday altar becomes meaningless without Monday alterations. Now, if you're new to this thing called church, you're going to wonder what on earth I'm talking about, a Sunday altar? What goes on there? Well, churches call this space 
an altar. It simply means doing business with God. It's a figure of speech, not a literal space. It's an encounter with God. And how this rolls is sometimes when you're in a church service, at the end of the service, they'll allow a space just where you might be able to come forward and seek prayer and have an encounter with God. Have somebody pray for you and seek a breakthrough on your behalf. Ask God to come and touch your life afresh and help you get your life in order. Sometimes people will gather around and pray for you in that space. And we call that space an altar. Today, I'm going to finish with a virtual altar. We're going to do that online today. God is here wherever you're watching from in this moment. And we all need a fresh touch from God. I'm certainly not opposed to the altar, but I just know it becomes meaningless without the alterations that go along with it. And I suspect that some of you have the same tendency that I have. Well, we come on a Sunday and we expect God to show up and bring the miracle, bring the breakthrough, bring the relief from the suffering that might be going on in our life on that particular day. But here's the thing, unless we make tweaks, unless we take the momentum gained from that prayer and do something with it, act on it on the following day and the day after that and the day after that, somehow whatever happened on Sunday just becomes a band-aid that literally means not much. The helpfulness of a Sunday altar relies on alterations, that when I get back to my everyday life, I'm willing to continue to engage with God. If I don't alter my life, what ends up happening is I'll be back in the prayer line again next Sunday, looking for another breakthrough for the exact same scenario that I've been struggling with for the last 10 years. So what's this, how does this relate to Philippians 4? We miss the tangible promise of Philippians 4, 7, which is God's peace, because we stop there and we don't continue on to the maintenance that's required that verse 8 and 9 speak about, which is where I want us to spend the rest of the time today. We miss, we settle rather, we settle for the momentary experience of peace, a prayer after church, which does make a difference and does help. Keep doing that. But don't miss verse 8 and 9. They're lesser known. They're not really on many bookmarks. You won't see these on bumper stickers. Philippians 4, 6 is very, very popular. Don't worry, just pray about everything. Hand it all over to God. But this is our part today. Verse 8 and 9, that we'll miss altogether making peace a lifestyle. Peace will only just be a flash in the pan of a Sunday and it'll come right back in on Monday unless I adopt all of the things that are mentioned here that are, I need to carry out. So two overarching ideas for us to consider to maintain peace as a lifestyle. First one given to us here is we must fix our thoughts. We must fix our thoughts for peace to become an enduring thing. Hear the word of the Lord today. We make, make measured choices to direct our thought life towards the positive. We are aware that our mind needs regulation. The first big idea to not only discover peace, but abide in peace is right here. We fix our minds. And here's what we do. We only give helpful thoughts permission to land. We fix our minds. Philippians 4.8 shows us how to keep peace. Paul's mental health plan here, 101, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, he says, Church, church, the peace of God will be in your felt experience if you learn to fix your mind, if you meditate, if you get fixated on eight things. 
So what are the eight categories mentioned? They involve these things that if we let our headspace go here on a consistent basis, we will discover peace as a lifestyle. Fix our mind on things that are true. Focus your mind on things that are honourable. Focus your mind on things that are right. As I'm reading these, do a little inventory. So where's my headspace been this week? On things that are right. Focus your mind on things that are pure. Focus your mind on things that are lovely. Focus your mind on things that are admirable. Focus your mind on things that are excellent. Focus your mind on things that are praiseworthy. I hope as I read through those eight things, you didn't hear condemnation today. I want you to feel hope. Hope that if you land your mind there, freedom will be found. That's a hopeful thought. And it's a clear indication here in Philippians. If I give my attention to things that are true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, I'll experience a rare level of peace that will just wash over me every single day of the week. This is a protective mechanism, focusing our minds that we carry into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So that when Sunday comes around, we're not in the emergency line every single week, chasing down the same thing. Last week's breakthrough all over again. If I focus my mind, what happens is my, my experience with Christ will go beyond that Sunday hour and bleed out into the other 167, which is where it belongs to. I'll move my, my life from this flash in the pan experience of peace to a daily lifestyle, keeping a right obsession on things that are pure and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. These deserve my attention. I feel your pushback right now. Somebody's going to say, John, that sounds exhausting. I mean, you're saying regulate all my thoughts. I have a hard day at work and yes, I want to come home and put the idiot box on and put my feet up and relax. I don't want to sit there and put every single thought through this grid to make sure it's in line with God. I mean, what are you trying to do? Kill me? No, I'm trying to free you. If that's what it takes for emotional hygiene, aren't you willing to do it? Friends, a reminder, we're not swimming in neutral territory. We're not. Most of the news you hear is bad news. It's not helping your faith. You've got to be intentional about this. Listen to this example. Stay with me. It's going somewhere. If you plant apple seeds, we understand what to expect from apple seeds. We'll get apples. If you plant pumpkin seeds, we anticipate what sort of crops going to come from pumpkin seeds. It's pumpkins. If you plant silver beet seeds, guess what? That dreaded stuff grows. Horrible it is. It takes over the world. And we, we interpret them. Okay, if I plant apple seeds, I'll get apples. Plant pumpkin seeds, I'll get pumpkin. If I plant nothing, I'll get nothing. Right? Wrong. Wrong. Nothing could be further from the truth. Have you seen what happens when people stop caring for their garden? Weeds take over. Weeds spring up and take over the whole show. Same thing with our minds. 
If we're just going to go blank and just think, oh, well, we'll just see what happens, that's what will happen. Weeds will choke out the life of God from in us. Philippians 4.8 gives us the how. Paul's ongoing mental health plan is first, fix your thoughts, practice daily control over your thought space. Next, we probably haven't associated with mental health. I hope I can show you today how there is a connection. Next point that Paul gives us in verse 9 of Philippians 4 is follow godly models. Follow godly models. He says in verse 9, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then, and only then it seems, the God of peace will be with you. The Philippian church were going to enter the peace of God when they followed Paul's example. Howard Hendricks, speaking in the context of a men's conference some years back. So ladies, you'll have to translate this into your language. You're speaking to a bunch of blokes. This is a man speaking to a bunch of blokes. Howard said, every man needs three men in their life. He said they need a Paul, a Barnabas and a Timothy. So again, ladies, you can translate, but, but here's the principle. He said, Paul is that older person who can build into your life. You need a Paul, he said. He's that mentor figure, that person who's, who's been on the journey longer than you, who's been through the laboratory of life and been through some experiences and is still holding on to faith, strong in Christ, even after going through suffering and trials. You need a Paul. Not someone who's perfect, but someone who's been on the journey longer than you and has some experience to share. And then Howard says, you need a Barnabas. And I like the way he, he says, describes Barnabas. He says, Barnabas is someone who loves you, but is not impressed by you. Barnabas is that truth speaker into your life. This is this relationship of iron sharpening iron. This is this rub of someone who's willing to tell you the truth. This is Barnabas. We need that peer relationship. Where, where one is telling the other honest, even brutal feedback at times. We need that peer who's willing to do that. A Paul, a Barnabas. And he says you need a Timothy. You need someone into whose life you are building. You need a younger person, the next generation, that you are encouraging, that you are championing on for the cause of Christ. So Howard says you need a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. We need models to follow. Here's our problem when we're looking for mentors, the Pauls, the people that are further along the track than us. We often look for perfection and we never find it. I just can't find any good mentors. We'll stop looking for a perfect one. I've only ever found one. His initials were JC. He's not available in his present moment to come and mentor me, at, not, at least not in person. Let's stop looking for perfection and let's start looking for one skill that you need help to develop in. For example, parenting. There'll be someone in your world doing it better than you are. Why not get alongside them and ask them, how did you build that such a strong family connection with your kids? How is it that they come home from school and communicate with you? What's going on there? How did you go about that? What practices did you have in place? that have led to you having such a healthy family culture. Finance, someone else will be using their money far better than you are. And you can get alongside them and ask them how they gained those skills. How did they get wise and prudent in that particular area of life? 
There'll be someone who prays in a particularly inspiring way. And every time you, you, you're with them, it's like heaven touches earth. Why don't you ask them? How did they develop that? How, how did they get that God connection so strong? Don't expect one person to be the entire package. You know, that prayer warrior may be a different person to that financial planner. They may not be the same people. Often they're not. And we need to stop looking for everything in the one package. It doesn't come. What does come is a good model. And they're all around us when we begin to open our eyes. How does this relate to mental health? Well, Paul says, I've given you a model, a pattern of behaviour. I've given you not only Bible teaching, I've made my example not only oratory, but an observable one, a behavioural one, one where you can watch and be inspired by the way I've gone about my life. They heard, notice the words here in Philippians 4.9, they heard his godly teaching, but they saw, they saw his godly example. What's that mean? I think it means that they saw him face many stressful situations and hold fast to God anyway. And that's a model. And that model matters because we not only need to see talking, we need to see some walking. We need to see people who actually know how to do it, how to hold fast to God, even when that's really challenging to do. Here's what happens when we take those examples on. They inspire us. They affect our emotional health and well-being. As we face the same examples, it infuses courage in us to keep walking, to keep pressing into God because of their examples. I love how the body of Christ, the church, is so full of personalities. There's all sorts there, isn't there? There's old, there's young, there's rich, there's poor, there's tall, there's short, there's fit and less fit people. There's loud, there's quiet, it's all there in the body of Christ, in the church. And sometimes we rub each other up the wrong way, don't we? And sometimes magic happens. We inspire each other through that communal rub that happens. And I love it when that happens, when those models are there and we can inspire each other to hold fast to God, even when it hurts, to stay faithful, even when it would be easier to throw in the towel. Today, I want to acknowledge two of our church members. They had significant age milestones this past week. Joy Buckle and Neil Grady. You both turned 21 again. And again, and again, but we won't give away your age. We have two wonderful examples of godly faith in the way they're living out their life right now. Joy has been recently given a very serious health diagnosis. We heard about it earlier in the video announcements. Joy needs a miracle. But the same message that keeps coming from her in these last few weeks is my life is not my own. Whatever happens, it's all for Jesus. If by me walking through this, means that somehow I bring more honour to the name of Jesus, 
then so be it. Joy, I'm inspired by your example. Thank you. It helps me. Recently, I had the privilege of interviewing Neil Grady, another wonderful servant of God. I was at his birthday yesterday, starts with seven. <laughs> and it was a wonderful occasion. And we heard about the 50 building projects that you, uh, Neil undertook in Papua New Guinea. You heard right, 50 churches built and facilities maintained for the sake of God's kingdom. And both Neil and his wife have got some significant health challenges going on right now. Neil is facing operation number 14 on his hip. 14. So this would be a guy that would be in the corner having a pity party about now, right? No. Is Neil hurting? Yes. But on his 70th birthday this week, you know what he did? He found someone in need went and visited them and encouraged them. He got his eyes off himself and he went to bless somebody else. You're hearing a theme here? Selflessness. My life is not about my comfort. And these models should inspire us, should keep us mentally well as we watch these people travel through challenges and go, wow, that's how you do it. That's how you trust God, even when it hurts. That's how you keep going in faith when it would be so easy just to let fear run the show. I suggest to you today, along similar lines, Paul writes to the church here, Philippians 4, 9, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. Church, follow these godly Examples of people that are living out faith right before our eyes. As the music team come, we sing our final song today. We're going to be singing, It Is Well. When I lose peace, and I often do, it really comes down to this. I've somehow drifted away from Philippians 4.8. I've stopped fixing my mind on the God-ordained things that we've read about this morning, that we've studied, that I'm supposed to be stuck on, things that are praiseworthy and excellent and right and true. I've given that away. And somehow, somehow, I've lost peace. And I only discover it as I move back to there and follow these godly models that God's put beside me. You might say today, John, I, I'm not sure that I have any. I, I don't live where you live and, and they're not around. Well, ask God for one. But if you've got nothing else, you've got the Apostle Paul, a man who's gone through tremendous suffering and stands to say, God has always been faithful through it all. Through it all. He kept his eyes on the Lord. That's my prayer for you this morning.